Our church has started a new series called The Church Refocused. And indeed, 2016, 2016, it's been a, a very busy year for our church. The Lord is on the move, and, and West Park is on the move with him. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Sam blessed our hearts with a sermon from Revelations 2, One Holy Passion. One Holy Passion. And he asked a very insightful question. What does Jesus focus on? What is he looking for? A very great question for us to ponder and to consider. And certainly that's not an open-ended question. Uh, believers are not left to guess what the focus of our life should be. Uh, we're not left to ponder what the goals in our lives and what we should aspire to. No, Jesus was very clear that we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. And so that should be our aspiration in life, to love the Lord our God. And even if our church is dialed in as West Park, uh, living out this expectation from time to time, it's wise that we will take a moment to refocus and to make any corrections as we go forward. And this morning, I would like to call your attention to what I think is one of our mission-critical aspects of the Lord's expectations of what we should do. Uh, it's about the discipline of prayer. And in particular, I want to focus on the topic of be constant in prayer. To be constant in prayer. That, that's the explanation, expectation uh, that the Lord has of each believer. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ should live up to the discipline of prayer and to be constant in prayer. So this morning, turn with me to the book of Romans. We're going to look at chapter 12, starting at verse 9. Those of you that are using the Pew Bibles, please turn to page 94, 948. And as you do that, put a marker in John chapter 17. We're going to come back there uh, later on in this message. So Romans 12, beginning of verse 9, reads as follows. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Be not slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Then verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And that's the verse that I really want to focus on this morning, to rejoice in hope, uh, to be patient in tribulation, and to be constant in prayer. This is God's word. Now, these words from Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, if you were to read chapter 12, there's a detailed list of expectations on how believers in Christ should live day by day. And we could indeed spend a considerable amount of time looking at each one of those expectations. Uh, they all present a very clear challenge uh, for us. But to live up to these expectations, we must have a deep and abiding love 
for Jesus Christ. We've just got through singing some beautiful songs of worship that at their heart speak to the love that we ought to have for Christ Jesus. I thank the choir for leading us in worship in that way this morning. And, and you know, it is our motivation that in order to have this constant prayer life, we must deeply love the Lord. We must deeply spend time with him, talking to him. We must spend time in communication with our Lord. And in order to do that, it all spurs out of that motivation of love. Now, the Apostle Paul was not unique in focusing in on this topic of being constant in prayer. If you were to look at the entire writ of the New Testament scripture, you will see that theme repeated over and over again, to be constant in prayer. In fact, Acts 1.14 says, they were all devoting themselves with a single purpose to prayer. Acts 6.4 says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Colossians 4.2 says, persevere in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. You hear that constant theme echoing to be constant, to devote, to persevere. You know, each of those concepts reflects the underlying meaning that Paul wanted to get across in that phrase, be constant in prayer, to be ready, to give attention to, to be faithful Two, to spend much time together. If I were to take and, and just pull those concepts together, I probably would have a statement that reads as follows. God's people should, be, should give faithful attention to spending much time with God in prayer. Let me say that again. God's people should give faithful attention to spending much time with God through prayer. That should echo as one of the great themes of our lives, to be people who are constant in prayer. Now, before I get in that, into that deeply, I want to give three aspects of what it means to be constant in prayer. You know, I find it just a bit odd and a whole lot disconcerting to have to exhort Christians to pray. Yeah, it just seems a bit strange that Paul would even need to bring up the topic in the first place. Yet apparently throughout the entire history of the Christian church, believers have come to the conclusion that prayer, constant prayer, is optional. That just doesn't make sense to me and hopefully to you. But you know, sadly, there's evidence that that is indeed the case, that we think of prayer as an optional discipline. There have been many studies that have shown that less than 50% of Christians in America today don't spend constant time with God in prayer. That's a very sad reality that's just frankly unbelievable. And maybe it has to do with Maybe in our own minds, we don't have a firm grasp on what prayer really is as a spiritual discipline. I love what one Christian writer has to say about what prayer is. Listen to what he has to say. He says, prayer is simply conversing with God. It is communion with God. We converse with people all the time. Husband and wives talk together. 
Close friends get together to visit. Prayer is just doing with God what you would do with people all the time. We can't have a close relationship with another person without spending time communicating with them. It's exactly the same with God. We cannot have a close relationship with God without spending time talking with him. That's what prayer is. It's simply having a communication relationship with our Lord. And any relationship that we have with anyone is filled with loving communication. Love requires communication. And if you love the Lord, the scripture says, the scripture commands, our Lord demands that we spend constant time with God. Now, I think Paul's inclusion of this exhortation to believers reflects the fact that we are all prone to drift away from that expectation. You are, I am. But prayer is a discipline that must be practiced until it becomes second nature. There's a blogger, a prayer blogger by the name of Brian Anderson that I think has written something that's very insightful that helps to cultivate that discipline of prayer. So writing under the heading of the spiritual discipline of prayer, Brian writes the following. He says, the New Testament teaches us that we are, ought to pray. First of all, we ought to pray according to God's will, first and foremost. 1 John 5, 14 says, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. Number two, with faith. All things you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. That's Matthew 21, 22. Jude 20, number three says, in the Holy Spirit, but you, Beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Number four, with devotion, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulations, devoted to prayer. That's our theme for this morning, Romans 12, 12. Number five, Brian writes, with thanksgiving, you ought to devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. That's Colossians 4.2. 1 Thessalonians 3.10 is the background for Brian's number six point. His sixth point is to pray earnestly. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly, that we may see your face and complete what is lacking in our faith. And then number seven, comes from Ephesians 6.18. Brian says that we are to being, pray with the attitude of being on the alert for all the saints. And Ephesians 6.18 says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the, sure, the saints. Now that's a great framework to begin developing the discipline of prayer, especially the discipline of constant prayer. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. 
Now, how are we to be constant in prayer? Well, first of all, I would offer up to you to be constant in prayer. We must devote, our, we must devote ourselves to be in prayer as Jesus was and to model what Jesus did. Jesus prayed out of a deep devotion for his God. And, and, and that devotion that Jesus had drove him to have a high priority for prayer. Jesus arranged his day each and every day to spend time alone with his God in prayer. And there are multiple verses that attest to this fact. I'm just going to read a few of them for you this morning, but I want you to get the sense that this, this concept of being continual in prayer was not foreign to our Lord. He epitomized what it means to live a life that was constant in prayer. Listen at Mark 1.35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Matthew 14.23. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain to pray by himself. And when evening came, he was there alone. Listen at Luke 6.12. One of these days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Just think about that. I, I pat myself on the back when I pray 50 minutes. Lord, I rejoice when I, I, had, I can spend 30 minutes, but Jesus spent the entire night in prayer. Uh, maybe that ought to be something we ought to practice every once in a while to, to get away. We've got plenty of mountains around here, don't we? And let's go pray one night in prayer to the Lord. Well, here's Hebrews 5, 7. Hebrews 5, 7 says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears, loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence, his reverence for God, reverence that grew out of a deep and abiding love for God. You get the point? Jesus was a man who was constantly in prayer. He was a man deeply in love with his God. And that leads us to spending more and more time with him in prayer. Now, beloved, for people who have been saved from their sins. Loving God leads to understanding how important it is to spend time with him. We are redeemed disciples of God who have been saved from our sins. It's a humbling reality to contemplate just how utterly hopeless our situation was as lost sinners. In our state of rebellion against a righteous God, a God who is angry with sinners who are vain enough to demand that life should be lived on their own terms, God just would not hear our pleas. I just want to park on that reality for just a moment. Leading up to our text this morning, if you were to read the entire book of Romans, Paul just hammers out the basis of what it means to be a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. We should never lose privilege 
a sign of the privilege that we have to call Jesus our Lord and Savior. That's a privilege the unredeemed do not have. The unredeemed do not have. And why? Because they do not seek to honor God with their lives. The fact of the matter is unredeemed sinners don't even have a desire to seek after God. That is the sad reality of a person that's still lost, a person that is still dead in their sins. Romans 3.10 attests to this fact. Listen at what God says about the unredeemed beginning at verse 10, chapter 3 of Romans. As it is written, none is righteous, no one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Do you just sense the terrible predicament that those who are lost in their sins not only don't they seek after God, listen to what Paul says they do with their mouth. Here's the kind of communication they put out there. Instead of offering praises to God, they use their tongues to deceive. Instead of extolling God's goodness, their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. There is no true love for God in the heart of the unbelievers. That's the awful reality of the lost. Uh, Paul continues to hammer that point home. In, in Romans chapter 12, 10, verse 3, he says, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own way. Now listen at that. Seeking to establish their own way, they would not submit to God's righteousness. God will not accept anyone on any terms other than his own. But yet, yet, in the midst of all of this doom and, glory and, and, uh, and gloom, Paul's primary message for writing this letter is to shine the blazing, blazing glory of God's plan of redemption for the hopeless man, for the hopeless sinner. Redemption is found by faith in Christ alone. If any of you have never been around me long enough, you know that one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Romans 5. And Romans 5 opens up with the profound truth that if a man be found in Christ Jesus, he is at peace with God. Through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, the lost sinner has been justified by faith. And this justification initiates a marvelous work that produces hope. And that hope puts us on sound footing with God. Why? Because my favorite verse says, Romans 5, 8. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. Now, that's, that's a thank you Jesus moment for me. Uh, I realized that I was dead in my sin. That I had no hope of salvation. And yet, in spite of that desperate state, 
God plucked me out of an eternity of separation from him. He alone saved my soul, and it's all to him that I owe. And it's out of that deep reality that I have this abiding and deep love for God and a love that drives me to want to be continually in prayer with him, to continually pray like Jesus prayed. Now, the good news is this is not my reality only, but it's the reality of all of you who claim the name of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know, and, and that's the truth that Paul says in Romans 10, 9. He says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. Now, isn't that good news? That is good news. This is the heart of the gospel and why Paul wrote the Roman letter. Out of that hopeless situation become, comes one of the most unbelievable truths of all time. Salvation has come to lost sinners. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't have that reality in your heart, hey, the door is open. God is, the Lord is knocking at the door of your heart. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning. And all you need to do is pray that prayer of confession. All you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus has been raised from the dead and you too will experience the love of Jesus Christ and be saved from your sin. Oh, what a glorious opportunity we each have to do that. And we need to pray continually that God continues to move forward, saving those who are lost. The, the Lord Jesus Christ stands ready to accept you into his kingdom on these terms, his terms. And to pray like Jesus, you need to know him and what he has done for you. The entire chapter of Romans 12 lays out for us what the Christian life should be. But again, Romans 12, 12 is what I want to look at again this morning. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. We need to pray just as Jesus prayed. Jesus spent and made it a point to spend much time in prayer with God. Now, not only did Jesus spend much time in prayer with God, he also laid out the, what our, the content of our prayers should be. Now, we're all familiar with Jesus' prayer that he taught to the disciples when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. He gave us the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is a wonderful model of petitioning God with having the intent of glorifying him, of having a heart filled with thanksgiving, and having a desire to love others. It's a wonderful prayer to recite, and indeed I, I pray that we're teaching that over and over to not only ourselves but to our children. There's another interesting prayer that Jesus prayed. It was while he was hanging on the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's Luke 23, 34. Just imagine that. In his agony, hanging there on the cross, Jesus looked out with compassion upon that crowd. And he said, Lord, I know I have a purpose that you've sent me to do. He said, God, I, my purpose was to offer up my life for sinners. 
And even though there was agony of hanging there, he did not lose focus on what his purpose in life was. No matter what life throws at us, we should never lose sight of the, focus, of the purpose that God has put us here on earth to do. In the book of Acts, we have another murderous scene with a crowd unjustly taking the life of a Christ follower, Stephen. And then, you know, as Stephen's life was being taken from him, just like his master, Jesus Christ, he looked out with compassion upon that crowd, and he prayed in Acts 7, 60, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Can't you just hear Jesus' prayer coming through Stephen at that moment? With a crowd unjustly condemning him, killing him, but yet he did not lose sight of his purpose, and he was able to utter a Christ-like prayer. So how do we pray like Jesus do? We should pray often. And the contents of our prayer should bring glory to God. And so as we continue to look at that theme, to be constant in prayer, not only should we pray like Jesus, we must also learn to pray for others. Now, Jesus doesn't leave us uh, with that question unanswered either of how to pray for others. In fact, he gives us one of the greatest examples of prayers of intercession that we have in the Bible. And it's in John 17. In John 17, it's the longest prayer recorded in Scripture that Christ ever prayed. Christ prayed this prayer when he knew that his time on earth was drawing to a close. He knew that the agony of the cross was before him. But listen to how Jesus prayed for others, how Jesus prayed for you, how he prayed for me. And I'm going to pick up at John 17 at verse number 6. Here's what Jesus prayed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Verse 8. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I am glorified in them. Jesus is praying on behalf of those that have been gathered around him. But if you go down to verse 20 of John 17, John 17, 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So not only for those that are gathered, but for all who would believe in their word. For you, this morning, that are gathered here, Christ is praying for you. He was praying not on himself, focusing on himself, but he was praying, focusing on the needs of others. To pray like Jesus is to cultivate a habit of praying for others. And again, 
Jesus gives us great examples of what it means to pray for others. The scripture gives us great examples of what it means to pray for others. One of the things that we should cultivate a habit of praying for is what Jesus prayed for on behalf of others. John 17, 21 gives us one of those great expectations. Here's what it says. When we pray on behalf of others, pray that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prays for unity of the flock. The oneness that Jesus desires is that we would be, have unity and purpose. Now, how does that unity of purpose express itself? Well, we need to be united in glorifying God no matter what the cost. Again, I look at Christ. The cost of hanging on that cross was not enough to deter him from understanding his purpose in life was to glorify God. We must live to glorify God. And when we live to glorify God, no matter what life throws at us, it doesn't deter us from doing what God would expect of us. Christ modeled that. Look what he said in Matthew 26, 9. Again, uh, just a dreadful hour in the life of our Lord. But he says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. That is being one in purpose with a father, to subjugate our own needs to those of another. That is praying like Jesus prayed. Now, are we commanded in Scripture to put the needs of others above ourselves? Well, yes, we are. Look what Paul wrote in Philippians 2.3. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, how would our relationships with others look like if we prayed that prayer? How much more unity we would experience in our church if we looked first to esteem the needs of others over ourselves. But here's another example. Proverbs 19.11. Look what God says to us there. He says, good sense makes one slow to anger. It, it, it is his glory to overlook an offense. Good sense makes one slow to anger. Now try that on. What if we pray that more in our churches today? What if we prayed more that we would be willing to have, we would have a spirit where we're willing to overlook an offense versus always walking around mad and angry looking to pick a fight with somebody? Wouldn't that make a difference if that's how we sincerely attempted to pray for others? Right, here's one more good nugget for you. Uh, Romans 12, 12, 12, 18 says, Romans 12, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now that's just something, again, our society runs counter to. 
to live peaceably with all. You know, at times it just seems like not only do we run counter to the concept of living in peace with one another, sometimes it seems like we don't esteem one another over ourselves, or that we strive not for unity, but disunity. But I think the Lord is asking us, is commanding us to contemplate on these realities and to pray continually. And I've written a little prayer here I want to read to you that pulls these realities together. You know, it's all right to write your prayers down. You can do that. Write them down. I tell you, it's, it's a blessing to go back and look at some of the prayers that I've written over the years. But you know what the greater blessing is? To go back and see how God has answered some of those prayers that I've written over the years. Write your prayers down. That's a good thing to do. So if I wanted to put those concepts together, here's a little prayer. It says, Lord Jesus, just as you are one with the Father, help me to be one with my brothers and sisters. Help me this day, Lord, to let the cup of self-focus pass from me and instead esteem the needs of others above those of my own. Help me, Lord, this day to overlook an offense in favor of glorifying you in the eyes of my offender. Lord, give me the strength and courage to seek out peace over anger. Help me to see all things with new eyes that focus on you instead of me. Now, you might not use the same words, but you can use that same essence. And if you do so, the Lord will bless you. We should continually strive to pray for others out of a heart that is just overflowing with love. So to be constant in prayer, we need to pray like Jesus did, and we need to pray for others, but we also need to pray continually for the work of the church. Go back to John 17, verse 13. Here's what Jesus says. Remember, he's praying for us. He says, but now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You are not of the world. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We are to go into the world. And Jesus is setting the stage for his departure. And how does he do this? by praying for those who will be left behind to carry out his work, the work that he started. And what is the purpose of that work? The purpose of that work is to bring glory to God. Glorify the Son so that he may, the Son may glorify you. And that's what our work is, to glorify God. And you know, as we glorify God, we can do so with great confidence that the Lord will bless that work. He will bless our efforts. John 14, 12 through 14 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the work that I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father. Christ is going to the Father. Verse 13, uh, listen at this truth. Whatever you ask in my name, 
this I will do. Great confidence. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. What a great reality. What a great way to clear up some of the confusion about what we ought to pray for. We ought to pray for the work that Christ has started, that that work would continue with us, that it would continue in the church. The truth of the matter is that when our prayers are based on the truth of Scripture, then our prayers really do matter. The truth of the matter is that when our prayers are based on the truth of Scripture, then our prayers really do matter. The Lord has a great work left for his church. There's a great work left for West Park Baptist Church. We need to join in together with God to bring glory to him. So to be constant in prayer, we must continually pray like Jesus did. We must pray for others. And we must pray for the work of the church. Now, earlier I mentioned that prayer is a spiritual discipline that must be practiced daily in our walk with the Lord. Now, we've got a little special effort that we want to launch here at West Park to bring focus to our prayer lives. So beginning tomorrow, October 10th, West Park is going to launch a 30-day emphasis on prayer. It's our desire that each of you would commit to refocusing on your prayer life during this next 30 days. Now, as a, as a church family, I'm going to ask you to join in with me in something I'm calling the prayer project. The prayer project. Now, if Terry was here this morning, you know, she gets shivers every time I start talking about a project. It just seems like every time I start a project, I never finish it. I can get halfway through my project, I tear it down and start over. Or I'll get finished with it and think I'm finished, see something I don't like, and tear it down and start over. I just don't get finished with my projects. Don't hold that against me. But just like my projects at home, my hope is that the prayer project is kind of like that. It's always a work in progress. We can always do better. Now, so as we launch the prayer project, uh, tomorrow, we're going to launch, for 30 days, a special prayer blog, okay? A special prayer blog. We're calling it Praying the Power of the Psalms. It's a 30 days of refocusing on the majesty of God. And so, we've invited many guest bloggers to look through the book of Psalms and to write a prayer of reflection based on their readings. And I'm just excited to hear what God and how God speaks through each of these bloggers. And so I'm asking each of you to join our website, www.westparkbaptist.org, and read these blogs for the next 30 days. Can you do that with me? Amen? Now look, here's the, here's the neat thing about blogging. And blog, for bloggers love for you to read what they've written, but what they really like is when you respond, okay? So as you read these blogs, we want to hear back from you. Well, we, want to, we will be encouraged to hear from you how God speaks to you about these prayers, about these psalms 
uh, that we offer up. Read these prayers with the experience, the ex expectation to experience the majesty of God. Now, there's no book in the Bible like the Psalms that extols the character of God and how he responds to the circumstances of his people. Now, let me just give you a few uh, for instances. For instance, do you need, are you uh, lonely and you need comfort? Well, look at Psalms 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil, for you are with me. With your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you need protection in times of danger? Look at Psalms 91, 2. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 42, 11, a great psalm to read if depression is in your heart. He says, why are you cast down, oh, my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall open praise to him, my salvation and my God. How about if you need discipline in your life? Psalms 94, 12 is a great one to read. It says, blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. Can you just imagine meditating on these passages of Scripture over the next 30 days? If you do so, the Lord will bless your soul. I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Pray Scripture back to God. You know, when I find that I sense myself drifting away from the majesty of God, Psalm 63 helps reminds me of my need for him. And here's what the psalm, here's the first four verses of that psalm. Here's what God has said to us. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. And so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up your, my hands. Now, think about offering this psalm as a prayer of reflection back to God. Here, here's what I wrote. Try this on. I said, I praise you, O God, that indeed you are my God. May I thirst for you, Lord, as if all the water in the world has gone dry and I am dying of thirst. That's how I want to desire you. I want my passion for you to be greater than a land suffering from a thousand-year drought. For I know that you will satisfy the deep longings of my soul. My satisfaction will, ex it will express itself in exuberant praise in your sanctuary. Lord, you are better than anything life has to offer, and I will lift up holy hands to praise you. You are the joy of my life. Amen. I mean, that, that's how the power of the psalm can motivate you to offer up prayers of thanksgiving and praise to your God, to the God who has saved you from the eternity of separation for him. Meditation on the word of scripture will always drive your heart 
to praise God. I'm truly looking forward to the next 30 days of blogging to see how the Lord speaks through these wonderful, wonderful people. Now, the prayer project is more than just the prayer blog. You know, during the next 30 days, we're going to have many opportunities for you to join in with us in prayer. Corporately, individually, we're going to have special projects. We're going to have groups. We're going to ask you to just join in and focus in with us on prayer during the next 30 days. And then I'm really hoping that this period of of refocusing will help you to refocus on your prayer life. And and I pray that every day of the year is an opportunity to take a fresh look at our prayers and to ask the question, are we continually in prayer? Do we pray like Jesus did? Are we praying for others? Are we praying for the work of the church? And so even now, as we come to the end of this message, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads with me and just think about how the Lord has blessed us. Uh, Doug's going to come back here in a second, and we're going to sing a sweet, sweet hymn that challenges us to call on the name of the Lord. We've already sang it once this morning, but it's worth singing again. Because Lord, what a blessing and a privilege we have to call on you as Lord and Savior. We're so thankful, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then Lord, again, if there are any here this morning that don't know you in the free pardon of their sins, who have yet to call on you as Lord and Savior, we we extend that invitation to them. Uh, We will be here to just talk with them about what it means to open up their hearts, to, to confess with their tongues and to believe in their hearts that indeed you are raised from the dead. And because of that victorious work, Lord, you extend salvation out to those who are lost. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you're doing, what you have done and what you will do. So bless us this day in your name.